Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate you reading that. Uh, his brother didn't show up this morning, so I asked him to do it. <laughs> I originally asked Brandon. So yeah, you should already be in John chapter 1. Uh, guys, it's good to be with you this morning. It's an incredible blessing to my heart to be able to, to be with my church family. And, and goodness, I got to say uh, real quick, just want to give a plug for uh, something that happened. Uh, this past Friday night, uh, we had our Freedom Worship Night. And my goodness, it was just an incredible event, a credible gathering um, where we were able to press in deep into the presence of the Lord we didn't expect anything of him except just to give him what we wanted to give him in worship and so it was a blessing uh, guys we're in this series called i am going through the gospel of john because we really want to know who jesus is uh, we realized early on that there's the potential for us to be carrying distorted images of jesus in other words we, we we we've crafted him into something that's more preferential instead of actually taking him as he is and so that's why we're looking at the person of jesus through the gospel of john and now he only read three verses, that's all we're going to be in today, but goodness, we've got a lot to do and very little time to do it, so I'm going to book it. One of the things that I've observed, and I'm sure you've probably observed as well, is that the world really likes to try to find ways to divide us, does it not? Yeah. It really works to try to find ways to split us up, and it's been doing this ever since the beginning, right? So we, we talk about ethnic divisions, right? White or black, right? Uh, Hispanic, Latino, you've got... Uh, you've got Indian, you've got uh, Rwandan, all these different ethnic groups, and we tend to divide ourselves over those things. We've also seen divisions over socioeconomic lines, right, where you have the 99% and the 1%, the poor and the rich. We've also seen society divided over things like political things, political issues, political lines, like, you know, liberal and conservative and Democrat and Republican we also see divisions in religious lines. I mean, even, even including atheists and, and, and Christians and all sorts of lines there. But we even have divisions uh, that, that span things like favorite sports teams. Like, uh, like Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, they're, they're rowdy people. Like they're very, very boisterous about their team. Yep, see, I told you. They love their team, right? And then you've got the Dallas Cowboys who just have given up, right? You have divisions even within the church among denominational lines, right? You know, uh, research suggests that we as a nation, the United States of America, have never been more socially divided or politically dysfunctional since the Civil War, right? We can't forget about that. We can't say ever because we did have a time where we were fighting our own citizen, like, citizens, but, but goodness, no, since then we've never been more politically dysfunctional or socially divided. And you know, this was all research and statistics that were developed before God decided to throw a pandemic into the world, right? Before it happened, before COVID-19 came about. Throw a pandemic in and mix it with all that baggage it brought in, and goodness, those dividing lines were pressed in even deeper to the fabric of our society. In fact, it's really intense time. It's been for the past two years for us, for us as a people. In fact, uh, what's intense about it is that we're running out of space in the public square for us to actually be able to speak what we believe is true without us being uh, fearful of the looming internet mob 
or, or the potential threat of being socially marginalized, which it's coming, by the way. In fact, that's how the church was born, socially marginalized. So take heart with that, but that's not what this morning's about. And yet when we really get down to the very root of humanity, the very core essence of who we are and what unites us or divides us, there's usually ultimately one matter, one issue. And you know what his name is, right? What is his name? It's Jesus. Jesus is a dividing line. In fact, that's what we're going to be learning today. Jesus is telling us that he is, I am, a dividing line. In other words, at the end of the day, when all is said and done, what ultimately matters is where we land with Jesus. How we respond to Jesus. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you a warning. Um, This morning isn't a popular topic. In fact, this morning, this study is not going to make a lot of us comfortable. In fact, it's going to make some of us uncomfortable uh, because we're, we're getting at a, a, a Jesus that divides. Wait, what? We, we come with this understanding that Jesus is safe for all people, and he is, but we misunderstand that to a degree. That he accepts all people. Yes, he's willing to accept whoever comes to receive him. We're gonna, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, okay? So my prayer for this morning, right, no matter how uncomfortable some of us may be, is that God's word would be preached faithfully and that what's true would actually land and what's not true would just float away with the wind, okay? So as we're getting into this, uh, you've already heard it spoken, you've already heard God's word read. One of the things that you heard repeated multiple times throughout this passage is a key term. It's called the cosmos. Can you say cosmos? Cosmos. Actually, you heard world, right? The word world. You heard it four times in just the first two, or in, three times in the first verse. If you, if you could, go ahead and circle it every time you see it. You see it in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then we see it three other times in the next verse. Now, we know that the word world is a key concept in the Gospel of John because... Obviously, it's the object of God's love. God so loved the world, right? But it's mentioned 78 times in this whole gospel. 78 times. John, the author, gives a lot of attention to this. Now, let me just ask. Like, when you think of the word world, what do you picture? What comes to mind? Is it, is it, is it the ground that we're walking on? Is it the sphere that we're living on, the, what we call the earth? It's this ball that we exist on in this galaxy, Um, that's not exactly what world means. Uh, The word world in scripture actually has more to do with the created order of things, more specifically even the humanity that exists in the created order. You can kind of see that throughout the Gospel of John because he says the world hated you. So if it's like the world and we're talking about the ground that we live on, what did I do to you for you to hate me, right? No, but we're looking at people. We're talking about the humanity and the world in that light. So look, looking back at verse 9, just to give some context, he was just talking about John the Baptist, and that's not the light. He was sent by God, but he wasn't the light. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone, which we'll talk about in a minute, was coming into the world. Verse 10, he, being that true light, was in the world, and the world was created through him. All right, pause there for a second. 
So I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but this is a very distinct claim of Christianity. I've mentioned it maybe a year ago, and I'm going to bring it up again. We have this concept where first, this true light created the world. This is the word of God creating the world, meaning he uh, is transcendent. He's above it. But then also we see here that he was in the world. So he came among his creation. He came among his people. He's imminent. So we have a God who is both transcendent above all things and also imminent, meaning he comes to dwell and be with us. Now that is distinctly Christian. Other religions would say one or the other, but we find in our God revealed in Scripture both. And we'll talk more about that next Sunday, but that's all I can say for right now. Keep going in verse 10. So we see that this true light came into the world that he made, and yet, what does it say? The world did not recognize him. The creation didn't recognize their creator. The creation, some of your translations might say, didn't know or weren't familiar with their own creator. So guys, this is, this is what uh, some theologians would call unrecognized revelation. Unrecognized revelation. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Unrecognized revelation. We saw in verse 9 that this light shines on everyone. All people have access to the revelation of God. And yet there are billions of people who don't recognize it. In other words, we, we can see that God's existence and his nature is revealed through creation. There's countless scriptures, but I think one of the, the easiest ones is, is Psalm 19, verses 1 through 2 and verse 4. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And we're not talking about the supernatural heaven. We're talking about the stars and the galaxies. They declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. And yet the world doesn't recognize him. The world doesn't know him. Now when John uses the word to know, right? The world didn't know him or recognize him. Most of us immediately enter into this matrix of thinking related to intellectual information. Like head knowledge. Right? Like knowing of Jesus and certain facts about him, like two plus two is four. Like, yeah, but how does that relate to life? How do I live with two plus two is four? All right, so let me show you the difference. This is going to seem really random, but I want to tell you about a guy named James Smith, okay? James Smith, he grew up in Parksville, New York, and he still lives there today. He actually graduated from Livingston Manor Central School in 2004. He spent some time working at Catskill Harvest. He worked as a, at a stint for a, a corrections offer in the New York Department of Corrections and Community. Uh, but now he works for construction at Catskill Valley Homes. Like He's got a lot of career, a lot of different career paths. But, but he just adores his three-year-old son, Tyler, and his daughter. He loves him. He loves to hunt. He especially loves to hunt with his oldest son, in fact, in, in 2015, he, he took an offshore fishing trip to Lake Ontario. He caught this massive trout. It was huge. His favorite NFL team is, like I said before, the Dallas Cowboys, so he's probably depressed. He's definitely on the right wing politically, so he might be some of y'all's best friends. 
All of this said, real quick confession, I have no clue who James Smith is. You know what I did? I looked up the most common name and punched it in on Facebook and found this guy named James Smith. And I did what people call Facebook stalking. And I found out all of that about him. So would you say that I know of James Smith? Oh, yeah. Would you say that I know James Smith? No, that'd be ludicrous. Although some people do think that social media is a way to know people. It's not. Let's just go ahead and lay that out there. So you see the difference there? The understanding of to know God isn't to know the facts about God. It's to actually relate to him. It's speaking of relationship, of intimacy, of closeness. I was reading uh, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard uh, earlier this week. In, in the third chapter, he talks about how this kind of knowledge is experiential involvement with what is known. Experiential involvement. So in other words, the world doesn't inherently relate to God as God. That's not what's known. It, it, as it was made to, you know, like that's how God created things. We were made to, to relate to with, to with God as God. And the world still hasn't recognized the lyrics that the, of the song that all of creation has been singing. And it's still true today. There are billions of people who have not recognized have not known, aren't relating to God as God. And then we get to verse 11, and things just seem to get even more grimy. Verse 11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So in one sense, we, we can understand this to mean all of humanity, all of creation, because in one sense, yes, we are all his people to a degree. He created us, but... I don't think John's talking about that, and no, no, no actual legitimate scholar does anyway. So, so he's, when he says his own people, we're talking about the ethnic lineage of Abraham. We're talking about the Jews, the nation of Israel, which God had chosen out from among the nations. So when this light, who is the word, who is God, showed up in creation, the Jews flat out rejected him. And so now we've ventured beyond unrecognized revelation into what is called unwanted revelation. Can you say unwanted revelation? Unwanted revelation. Jesus is God speaking to the world. That's what we found in, in, in verse 1. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus embodies and proclaims the very nature of God. And yet the Jews reject him. Now there's this parable that Jesus tells about a, a man who built a vineyard and, and he put together everything that's needed to run the vineyard and he hired some tenants to come in and to run the vineyard for him while he was going to be away in another kingdom. And so he goes away and the tenants are running the, the vineyard and, and when it comes time for harvest, the man sends a servant back to his vineyard and, to collect some of the, the harvest and what do they do? They don't give him anything. They, they beat him up and send him away. So the servant goes back and the man's like, oh, well, let me send another one. And another one comes and they beat him up and send him back. And then, and then the man sends another one and they kill that servant. And this keeps going and going until the man kind of says, you know what? Like, I'll send my son. 
They won't, they won't disrespect him. What do they do? Oh, let's kill him. And they murder him. Guys, that's a, that's, a, that's a wicked story. And it's Jesus calling out the Jews. It's Jesus prophesying of his future rejection, but also calling out the Jews. You see, the very nation that God had chosen as his own and, and for generations kept his covenant faithfulness to them. These people would kill the prophets that God would send and they would then reject the son. They didn't just like casually, oh, I, I, uh, not, for, not, not for me. No, no, no. They, like they mocked the son. They beat the son until he was unrecognizable. They nailed him to the cross and left him to die not caring about the consequences. They really rejected the light. And so here, my goodness, just in these two verses, 10 and 11, we've already got God's own people rejecting the, the true light. And we've got the world itself not able to recognize the light. Guys, I, this is grimy. This is tough. And at a minimum, this is the state of the world around us. This is the reality of the humanity that God made and which fell. In fact, this may be the current disposition of some of us in here. People who haven't recognized the revelation of God in Jesus or who have understood enough to only say, nah, not for me. Either way, if you haven't recognized the revelation of God in Jesus or you haven't, have only just rejected it, either way, ultimately, you don't know God. The, the, the people out there are, are, are not relating to God as they ought. In fact, Scripture has a, a name for this. Scripture refers to these sorts of people as, as lost. Lost. Now, they're... they're most people don't know they're lost until they have a, a wife who says those words they never want to hear, right? Are we lost? Right? You just don't want to hear that. But we know what to be lost means. We, we know it means to be out of place. It's, it's out of place. It's not where it should be. Guys, the epitome of a soul that is lost, of a soul that is out of place, really means that you're not relating to God as God. That's what lostness ultimately means. You've been lost to God. Not that he's like, oh no, I lost him. Where they go? Ah, my keys, where'd they go? No, it's like, that's not God, right? But in another sense, you're not relating back to God as God as you ought. You know, we were made to know God. That's one of the very things that God instituted in the created order that he put together in Genesis 1 and 2. We were made to know God. We were made to receive him as God. But you see, that's what's out of place in this lost world. That's what's lost. Instead of, instead of God being in the position of God and, and a humanity being created beings, 
The lostness of the soul elevates the creation above the creator. And it switches places. You've put yourself in the place of God and on his throne. In fact, I I would argue that the root conviction of lostness, the root conviction of someone who's not relating to God, doesn't recognize, doesn't know God, or even has rejected God, the root conviction of that person's soul in their deepest of hearts is the conviction that, no, I'm God. No, I'm, I'm the master of my fate. And you know, it can lead to such such drastic actions as some moron wrongly invading a sovereign country under the belief that that land belongs to them. But it can also lead to such subtle actions as like saying, hey, I'm just going to spend every evening this week watching two and a half hours of TV because, you know, it fills my entertainment belly. So if, if, I've, if I've done something to offend you this morning already, I, I think we're, we're on track, good. Um, because this sort of news does that, right? Because if, if, if God is running the universe and, and he has first claim on our lives, then, then who doesn't? You and me. We're not the ones running the universe. We're not at the center of all of existence. You know, the primary conviction that caused the fall and lostness of creation in Genesis 3 was the conviction God got it wrong, I can do it better. I can make it right. And you know, this this lostness, this conviction is one that we're all born with. We're all born lost. Are you depressed yet? (laughs) The world doesn't know God. Even his own people rejected him. This looks grim. But it doesn't stay this way, does it? The tides start to shift. Look at verse 12. It starts with a what? But. This is what Charles Spurgeon calls a blessed but. I'm not kidding. It's a blessed but where things look really dark and hopeless and God intervenes and he turns the tide. Look at his word. It says in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. So we've we've found a new category of people. We've we've found a new category of people that people can be found in. And it isn't based on divisions between ethnicities or politics or socioeconomic statuses. No, it's based simply on whether or not they've received Jesus, whether they've received him. Now, what does it mean to receive him? Well, uh, if you look at the two, three phrases, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children, to those who believe in his name. So in other words, it seems like John is connecting the two together. To believe Jesus is to receive Jesus. To receive Jesus is to believe Jesus. Or more specifically, John says that to receive Jesus means to believe in Jesus' name. You remember what name means? I've said it like 500 times. <laughs> The the concept of a name isn't just a label slapped onto you. Biblically speaking, a name embodies your full character. It embodies your, your history. It embodies the nature that you exist with. 
So like, if you're wrestling with what it means to believe in Jesus, John is defining it here for us. He's saying faith is to receive all Jesus is, to believe in his name, to receive all of Jesus. Now, uh, uh, some of the language that we use in in, in Christianese is kind of fun, right? So uh, some of you may have said this, or you definitely have at least heard it. Have you accepted Jesus into your heart? That word accepted is controversial in some circles, because it's like, wait, I've got to, yes, I approve of you, God. You're good. Like, I'll take you. It's like, (laughs) I don't know if that's exactly how it works. It's a bit reductionistic, but the truth remains, we receive Jesus, This kind of faith that receives all Jesus is, it creates this allegiance to Jesus in us. And it, and, and it initiates this process of, of trusting him more and more and more and, and acknowledging his claims and, and confessing him as the way, the truth, and the life, Lord, Savior, and, 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 and becoming like him through the power of that he embodies to transform us and make us more like him. And all of that owing to his grace that he works within us. This kind of faith that receives all Jesus is both recognizes the revelation of God and it wants the revelation of God. It agrees with God. It desires God. This kind of faith relates to God as God. They've switched places again. But this requires that we receive Jesus as God. Believing in Jesus, we have to receive Jesus, believe in Jesus. And you know, that's the key to this whole book, right? That's why John the Baptist was sent. That's why the author of this book, John, was writing this for us to believe. And you know, one of the things that you'll never see in this book, every time the word believe appears, you never see an adjective or an adverb attached to it. For example, like you'll never see you have to deeply believe, or you have to radically believe, you have to sincerely receive, you have to completely believe. It's always just believe. Just believe. Nothing attached to it. You know why? Because to believe is to simply receive something, and as soon as you put an adjective or an adverb on the front of it, it becomes something under our control that we can do it ourselves. So if I have to completely believe in Jesus, then I've got work to do. I've got to work, and I've got to earn my faith. Now I have to do something, and it feels like there's something in my hands that I have control of, but if I just have to believe, then I am totally dependent on the Lord because we know faith is a gift from God. So to believe is to receive all Jesus's into your life. All he is. And guys, let's just be real about something. He's more than just a savior. Yes, he is infinitely that and perfect at it. But if that's all we've related to Jesus as, oh, he forgave me of my sins, let's just do life now as I want to do it. That's not what he was. He's Lord, he's goodness, he's a theological instructor. He teaches you all about God. He's a marriage coach, teaches you how to love your wife better than you could ever know. He's a financial advisor. My goodness, he can help you with those. He's so much more. If we receive all he is, and when we do, literally one of the most amazing things that the gospel promises us happens. Look at what happens in verse 12. 
But to all who did receive him, remember, and that means believing in his name, he gave them the right to be children of God. The right to be children of God. Did you see that? Like when you and I receive Jesus, we're instilled with the right, we're entitled with the privilege of interacting with God as our father and and us as his child through what scripture has appropriately called adoption. Adoption, who to dunk? So when you receive Jesus, you get adopted. You know you're all adopted in here if you follow Jesus. In other words, you get guaranteed access to get to know your heavenly dad. <laughs> you know, one of, the, one of the greatest privileges that my wife and I have ever had in our lives, apart from being able to marry her, um, is to be able to adopt our niece. Um, She's our oldest daughter. She's Hadley. Uh, We had the privilege of adopting her into our family as our forever daughter. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about that. For the first 17 months of her life, uh, Hadley's biological father, um, his name was Tyler, uh, he only met Hadley twice. Um, uh, Tyler was in jail when she was born. And for 17 months, he only met her twice. And a few months after that, he overdosed on heroin. Which meant that the right that Hadley was born with to relate to that man as her father was stripped away from her. And on March 4th, 2016, my wife and I had the privilege of adopting Hadley. She became our oldest daughter. As among the many, many privileges and securities that adoption can bring, Us adopting her meant that she got the right to relate to me as her daddy. She's been declared with the instilled inherent right that I be her dad. Which then means that she has the right to have me snuggle with her every night before she goes to bed and read to her. It means that she's been given the right for me uh, to, to change out the batteries in her toys and set up her new LED lights in her bunk beds. It means that she's been given the right to cry in my arms when she trips and she falls and she's hurt and she scraped her knee. She's been given the right to, to run to me as her protector to have me present at her games and her recitals and to have me intimidate the snot out of whatever boy comes courting her at first. She's got those rights. She has them now. You know, to be, uh, to be funny, Hadley will sometimes call me Pastor Scott <laughs> instead of dad, right? And, and so I'll... Uh, I'll just grin and I'll smile and I'll reply back, oh, 
Hadley, what do, what do you get to call me now? And she, she giggles and sometimes she'll run into my arms and say, Daddy. You see, if one of your kids comes up and says, hey, Pastor Scott, I say, what's up, man? They don't get to call me daddy. That'd be weird. But if Hadley comes up to me and she says, dad, I'm hers. That's now her right. With those who receive Jesus, we're given the right to have God as our father. We're given the right to relate to him as such. We're given the right to him being our protector, our provider. We're given the right to run to him when we need a refuge and strength. We're given the right to him when we are sorrowful and and, and overwhelmed with grief. We can run to him. It's our right now as children of God. And how do we receive this right Well, John answers that in verse 13. He gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, verse 13, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. But of God. So so John introduces this concept of being born again, right? And he expounds on it later in John 3. But you can, can already know, right? Like everyone who ever has existed was born. Raise your hand if you've never been born. If, if you, yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got some, like, we can talk after if you do raise your hand, right? There's some issues there. We need to get some things checked out. But all of us have been born. And we, we all have parents. We've all been born to some parents. Now, I'm not talking about how broken that family situation may be right now. Either way, though, we've all been born. But we need to be born again to be children of God. So we'll talk about that more in John 3. But, but obviously here, God is saying that we're born of him. We're born as his children. And then he goes on to say that there's some, some patterns, some things that we usually try to implement in order for us to gain the affection of God as father that don't work. That try to get his acceptance as children, but they don't, they don't do that, right? So look at what he says. Who, who were born, again, not of natural descent. In other words, he says it's not by blood. It's not by bloodline. In other words, you're not born into faith. You don't receive a little DNA gene uh, when you're born from your parents if they were Christians that say, hey, you're, not, you're right with the big man upstairs now. You don't need to do anything. It's not about you. It's about what's in your DNA. No, there's nothing about that. Like, like I, this is a joke, but goodness, I've heard it before. Just because your great, great, great grandpa's stepbrother's dad's cousin was a minister doesn't mean that you're saved. <laughs> I've heard that before. Yeah, my daddy, his daddy was a, a preacher. I'm like, what about you? <laughs> so there's nothing in the bloodline. But secondly, he says this. He says that it's not by a natural descent. It's not of the will of the flesh or the will of man. In other words, it's, it's, it's not, our, it's not our, our white knuckling, right? I'm going to do better and I'm going to be a good person and I'm going to be more moral. That can't save us. Guys, our best efforts to clean ourselves up morally are not acceptable to God when we're thinking about salvation and becoming his children and believing in Jesus. Faith doesn't operate with that currency. 
In other words, you, you can't buy God off with your good works or progress in morality apart from Christ. So God, God literally, he doesn't look at you and go, oh, you used to smoke weed and now you don't. You used to, you used to look at porn, but now you don't anymore. Right? You, oh, you used to be a drunk, but now you're not. Hey, you're better than your neighbors. Come on in. It's not on the volition either. It's not of our will. Nor is, it's not our capacity to choose God. Lost people can't want God. That's what's so hard about this. So how do, how do we get this right to be children of God? How are we reborn as his children? By God. We are born to God by God. God accomplishes this within us. So in other words, if you and I find within ourselves the fact that we are new creatures made after the image of Christ and his spirit dwelling within us, understanding with the conviction that I'm not God, God is God, and he's better off on his throne than I am, if we find that within ourselves, all that we can say is, there but for the grace of God go I. And to those he does this, to those he does this, we're no longer lost, we're found. We are a found people, restored back to God, relating to him as God and heavenly father, caught up in his life and available for his purposes once again. A lot of these thoughts have been coming from the book that I read, Dallas Willard, so I would recommend that for you, but... But this is the new beginning that we're talking about back in 1-1. In, in the beginning, we talked about how this gospel is indicating a new creation coming in. So we don't have to be stuck in the lost world. We can be found in the new world. And it's available for all of us who receive Jesus, who believe in his name. We're given the right to be born of God and back as children of God. Found. Back in the right place. Back to the one to whom we belong. But you see, that's, that's the very thing that's hard about this. This passage is drawing a massive division in humanity. There are those who are estranged from God, who don't know God, who have even rejected God. But either way, they, at, at the center, they're not relating to God as God. And then there are those whose God is their God, whose God is their Father. Scripture talks about this division elsewhere. He says that those who are lost and those who are found. There are those who are children of the dark and those who are children of the light. There are those who are spiritually dead and there are those who have been made alive again. There are those who are children of wrath. There are those who are children of God. And that's the line. And there's a division between these groups of people. And there's one line that's drawn between the group. And his name is Jesus. In other words, we don't get a new beginning apart from Jesus. We don't get to be born again as children of God, children of the light, any other way except for Jesus. We don't get to experience this abundant, full, forever free life without Jesus. We don't get our right to God as Father apart from him. And we're not inherently born with it. So God's word here 
already in the prologue of this gospel is forcing us to deal with Jesus. It forces us to deal with Jesus because Jesus is, I think he's saying here that I am the dividing line. If humanity is going to be divided, it's ultimately going to be divided by me. You know, in Luke 12, Jesus himself says, did you think that I came here to bring peace? No, not peace, but division. Division. And then he talks about where that can go, including but not limited to your own marriage, your own families, your own friendship circles, your own employment networks. This division can run through all of that. And this division between those who are lost and estranged to God and those who are his children is is determined simply and not so simply by what? Jesus. Whether or not Jesus is received. Believing all Jesus is and all he did his sonship to God, his perfect life, his substitutionary atoning death, his bodily resurrection. Receiving all Jesus is divides the line between a lost world and a new creation. Jesus is the dividing line. So I I, I can't help but think that we've got to have some sort of response to this. What is our response? Well, first, enjoy the rights of sonship to the Father. We've got this. We've got this right that we can relate to God as Father. But then we also, we turn and we look and we live realizing that we, we live in a, in a lost world. So should there, should there be urgency welling up within us about people who are not relating rightly back to God as God? Absolutely. Urgency should be welling up within us, concern for their well-being. Because they make crummy gods. So do I. We, we ought to find within ourselves a motivation to, to live our lives in such a way as accords with the gospel, as children of light. We ought to be so motivated to be equipped with this good news of the gospel that's always on our lips, that's ready to just invite people in. We ought to be prepared with a defense as to why you and I received Jesus. We ought to be persuading others of their need for Christ. And boy, should we be on our knees before our Father in heaven he be knocking at the doors of their hearts. People all around us. And finally, we stand firm in our receiving Jesus in a world that is becoming increasingly hostile to those who do. Standing firm when the world's trying to marginalize us because of our faith in Jesus. Those are just a few of the responses. You might have more. But either way, let's bow our heads and, and let's close our eyes. Because I realize that there's a, there's a possibility that there are some of you in here who have not been relating to God as God. You've been the God on the throne of your heart. And, and you're realizing more and more that that sort of lifestyle just doesn't work. 
That sort of lifestyle only ends with uh, limited satisfaction that can never truly be satisfied. And it ends with, with destruction and chaos. It ends with being apart from God. But even now, you're not with God. And so if you're here in this morning and, and, and you're realizing how crummy of a God you've made of your life and how messed up it's become and you're wanting to turn over the lordship of your life, I want to invite you to receive Jesus today. He is the son of God, the creator of the universe, the one who loved you so much that he gave his life for you and he's offering new life. He's offering you a way to experience a kind of love that's scandalous. A kind of grace that confounds even the wisest people. And mercy for every transgression. Covered by his blood. So if that's you today, I would, I would just ask that you not leave without coming to talk with me or one of our leaders. We'd love to to be with you. We'd love to walk with you through this new journey. But let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us the right to be your children because we've received Jesus. And boy, I realize back when I first received Jesus, that wasn't an easy thing because I got so confused about what his intentions were with my life. But now when I look back, it's like how foolish was I to stay away for so long? I thank you that you've adopted us, God. You've adopted us into your family and that we get to be your children and that we get to have Jesus as our co-heir. What he gets, we get. <laughs> God, I thank you for this gospel that welcomes in the weary soul, that welcomes in the brokenhearted, that welcomes in the guilty sinner, the lost and afraid. And goodness, thank you that this gospel says that we can be found. Found in Christ, found in your presence for eternity. God, I pray that you would make us ambassadors to this good news. That you would allow us to stand firm on this dividing line that is Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would be unmovable with this gospel truth. But also that it would move us into our communities and move us into the nations to herald this good news that people can be right with God again. We love you, Father, and I ask for all of these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, the dividing line, and all God's people said, amen. If you guys would stand, I'd love to pray a prayer of benediction over you. It comes from Hebrews chapter 13. And it says this, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Love you guys. Have an incredible week. Be blessed. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.